Yo, what's up, everyone? Thank you so much for tuning in to the No Prisoners podcast. Just want to give a quick shout out to After Five Media for putting this whole thing together. If you're ever in any need of media services, such as photos, videos, even podcasting, check them out. They got you covered. Link is in the description below. Also, check out their Adobe stock links and also their Love Pack links. It's a great way to get your business looking nice and professional, whether it's your website or your Instagram posts. They got you covered. Also, check out our affiliate links for extra wallets i use the wallet myself best wallet i've ever purchased they come in aluminum leather whatever material you can think of they got you and they're so sleek and so damn good looking i don't know what else to say about it check them out link in the description below and last but not least enjoy the show honesty this book is fundamentally about honesty the, the like the more honest and transparent your business is or your practices are the more money you will reap in this next century we got a special episode for everyone today um, but before we indulge you hit the subscribe button um, Regardless, hit the subscribe button if you're watching us on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button if you're watching us with your ears on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, there's other podcast apps that we're on, but they don't. They don't. There I say it. They don't matter. <laughs> Fuck. Didn't mean to, but let's call it call it what it is. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna shut this. Like an old man. I'm like, I got to shut my ringer off. Let me Don't turn my flashlight. Look at it at an angle. Like. Yeah, you ever see those people that come into the restaurant and they're just like, I can't see the menu. Oh, yeah. Flashlight. <laughs> what? 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 Yeah, What's no, the specials? What's the specials? <laughs> you know what the specials are tonight? It's like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like yeah. the one next to them. Ariel's like, oh my God. <laughs> you know what? It, you, like, dude, you, it's like, you know when I think that happens? It's like you're like the dude from X-Men, Cyclops, and you're just like laser beaming yep. people with your eyeballs without regard. Yeah. That's a, Jesus. <laughs> Fucking hate that shit. But we had a special episode today. We were talking the other day, trying to switch things up, um, you know, keep it real. The solo episode's just, uh, you know, it was getting hard to refresh the energy. So yeah. we, were, we were kicking around some things, and I read books. Gilmer doesn't read books too often. Uh, too often. I'm reading one now, but he it's reads very slow going. He knows how to read. Yeah, I learn. I know how to read. But it's the habit of book reading. Yes. It's this. This is a book. Yep. And sometimes you can read them. So I was like, you know what? This dog's just ripping up the carpet right in front of me. <laughs> but anyway, so we're back to the book thing. Rambo, sit down. Today, we're gonna get into a book called The Sovereign Individual. I've read this book two times. Um, not, not back to back, but I did read it two times in close, you know, succession. Nice. Right. So I figured the re- the reason I picked this book, Gilmar, um, and I conveniently like this morning, I quick, I got up early and I just like, oh my Jesus. God, all the listeners are going to, they're going to think I didn't actually read this book. So I'm going to bend the pages and I'm going to put all these inconvenient, you know, highlight tabs and actually highlight the book. So yeah. it looks like I read it. You got thrown on the floor a little bit. That's what it is. Yeah. Because you know what always people people sometimes be saying? What they be saying? They're like, you're too preachy. 
or you're you don't know about that. I don't actually. Nobody said that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you're like, you're like what? Said yeah. <laughs> Nobody said that. <laughs> I don't think anyone said. Anyway, but you know, to avoid sounding you know preachy or things like that, I was like, hey, like sometimes I'm dropping facts and knowledge on the podcast that people have asked me about, like yeah. they followed up on. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I heard you say such and such. Like, where'd you get that? Or what was this? And, you know, good secondary questions have come from that, right? So I was like, maybe there's something here. Mm-hmm. And then I picked this book because before I blow your minds, melt <laughs> your minds with this book, that, you know, if you read this book, your life will be changed forever. The unfortunate side of things was this book was written in... I believe 96 or 97. Mm-hmm. Yeah, copyright, 1997. Printed printed and published by Touchstone. Shout out. Good guys over there. Mm. Um, maybe. And this book has been revised. Um, it doesn't look like they revised any of the information, but it looks like they put it into paperback in April 2020. Oh. I don't know if they did it on April 20th, 2020. Shout out. Nothing. 420. Right. Crickets. No. Yeah. Um, but had you read this book in... No, let me finish my thought. Jesus Christ. This is a struggle. What? If you finished this book in 97 and had you read this, uh-huh. you'd be a rich person. And that's why I'm covering this book. Mm. Because there are other books that are coming out in 2021 or 2022, you know, that could potentially make you a rich man or lady. Yeah. Maybe impact your life with, you know, great positivity. Mm -hmm. As this book would have if you read it in 1997. But eight-year-old Andrew just wasn't getting down. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I asked my mom for the book, but she was like, you know what? I'm going to get you the Bernstein Bears. Like, you need to to step it up. And I'm like, Mom, I can read this book. (laughs) Captain Underpants. So, yeah, Captain Underpants. Oh boy, what is it? This thing's like touching me right here. Like I felt like somebody you know, was fight like, "Fight it, bro!" I was like, "What's up, dude?" Fight it. I was like, "What's what? Don't let what, it fight you, up, bro. Dude? You gotta fight it." Anyway, before we lose everybody, mm. the sovereign individual mastering the transition from the information age, or from the industrial age to the information age. It, it says mastering the transition to the information age. Mm-hmm. What they're saying from industrialized America. To information age, which is what we are now nuts deep in, <laughs> right? Because it's 2021. This book was written in 97. Yeah. Through the math, right? We've been here a few years. So many years. So, like, the, there's an, it's just an interesting book. Um, well, one of the co, like, like, I, I don't know how to explain it. This, this book just takes into consideration the past couple different situations in the past. I'm talking like really, really far back in history. And then certain market conditions that we had in, you know, pre-2000, yeah. which were when this book was written. And the book was written to basically describe like what conditions we had, what conditions were going to present themselves, and then reasoning in the past why these things would happen, right? So it goes in to talk about like the feudal age and things like kings and, you know, warlords and chivalry and stuff like that and and goes on to say like well you know the information age is going to you know, decentralize the power again right now we're very central in power um with the governments right but of the turn of you know when the turn of the century the internet and everything like that it, it wasn't 
inconceivable for someone like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk to come from, you know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere in South Africa to all of a sudden you're like the CEO of the world, the world. (laughs) So uh, a sovereign individual basically is, is someone that is, is free from the state. It's not a combative thing. It's not necessarily like you're like attacking the government. You're just free to move around. Like Colin Yerkinson mm-hmm. is who in, well, ultimately shout out to Colin. He's the one who said I should, you know, check this um this nerd novel out. <laughs> and uh, he was right. And like Colin would be this I th- he he would be a low level sovereign individual. Mm. He's moving across country lines, he's living wherever he wants to live, he's working from his computer. Like, he doesn't pay taxes because he doesn't have to, because the way he's living his life. Yeah. Different different things like that. So, I mean, if anybody that's listening to this show that gets into the entrepreneur space or, you know, maybe you want to own a business, maybe you just want to be more successful than what you are, like, this book would be a great way to kind of, like, um... Get you thinking outside the box. Right. I firmly believe that anybody can think any type of way. Right. You can teach positivity. You can teach pessimism. You can teach money. You you can teach all this stuff. It's all muscles. And people are just like, oh, no, no, no. I'm just not good at that. Like, I just don't think that way. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you just don't, like, try to think that way. Every idea starts out small. Right. Right. I have a lot of ideas in the day. And they're all like, boop. Pop in, in and out, in and out. And then every now and then one of those, you know, catches a little extra material and becomes a little bit bigger of a stone and then becomes a boulder. And then sometimes next thing you know, you have a podcast, (laughs) right? So I'd like to think that having ideas and executing on them is something that people can learn. And like, that's a skill that people can learn, right? Having ideas and like knowing how, like I'm now at 33 years old, when I have ideas, sometimes I'm not good at picking and choosing what what are like to keep going with. So I take advice from other people. But I'm usually pretty good at having an idea, knowing what it's going to take to put it together, and then just doing it. Right. Whereas some other people just, you know, they think about all the risks. They think about all the, the downsides. I only really think about the upsides. Yeah. Because in my mind, hey, if I work really hard and I put together the right information, and I keep at it, it'll win no matter what, right? So I think, like, all that is stuff you can learn, and fortunately for you, like, this book is a great um, facilitator of thinking really differently. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed this book because there was a couple of times where I'm like, you know, like, you know, that, that, that's a good point. Like, I could see that because this guy was writing this book for you know, 2025, 2050, you know, he, like the time between 2000 and 2050, like this book is mainly, you know, pre, like the first half of the century, basically. Right. Um, so I really think if you're going to be successful in the first half of this century, which we're already almost a qu- halfway through, <laughs> um, you want to pick up this book and, you know, read it, even though it was written a long time ago, it, it, it'll make things very clear to you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll get into a little bit and talk about it, and you'll see, like, holy shit, like, if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little bit of the things that it points out in mm-hmm. the world, 
And you'll be like, wow, if it points out that, it's going to point out a lot more things. And it's definitely made me a little bit more comfortable with certain things like uh, cryptocurrency. Yeah. It made me really comfortable with cryptocurrency. I'm not even kidding. Before, uh, the cryptocurrency money to me was like, hey, this is an investment, but it's also kind of a gamble. If I lose all this money, that's going to suck. But in in my mental state, I was already prepared for like, if that does happen, I knew that was a risk. And I and I thought it through. Of course, yes. some people are like, ah, oh, that's a risk, but it's never going to happen. Like, I actually like internalized it. Like, if that does happen, how am I going to react? Probably not well. <laughs> um, so... When this book was written at, like he says, as I write, but it was, you know, 1997, this chapter is titled The Transition of the Year 2000. Um, as I write, the top 15% of the world's population have an average per capita income of 21000 annually. The remaining 85% of the world have an average of just $1,000 income annually. That huge hoard advantage from the past is bound to dissipate under new conditions of the information age, right? Right. So that's a good thing, yeah. in my opinion. You know, we're saying, like, th- in 1996, like, $21,000 a year. I think if I had to guess, at least domestically in the United States, I would say the annual per capita income is probably, like, l- high 30s a year right now. High 30s. Maybe, like, 41000 Something like that. I would think. Um, but... $1,000 against $21,000. Like, that's, you know, it just, I don't know. It's it's kind of crazy that only 15% of the world was just doing just that well. Mm-hmm. And the rest were doing even worse. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it starts the book off just being blatantly honest about how things are. And what this book talks about a lot are things that we still currently feel. So it's like, the, the, and it's talking about how things were f- being felt in 96 at this intellectual level, which means you weren't really intellectual at that age. I'm two years old. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> two-year-old you, Yeah. I mean, it would have been it would have been a struggle, but I think you could have got through it. <laughs> Speaking Spanish, <laughs> I don't even know English at two years old. So. Um, the state will treat increasingly autonomous individuals, its former citizens, with the same range of ruthlessness and diplomacy as it heretofore displayed in dealing with other governments, right? So to like pull to like pull that out a little bit more, like when we're dealing with Jeff Bezos and say when Steve Jobs was still around or anything, like do you ever notice how the government is like, eh, whatever you want, Bezos? Yeah, like they pay a negative tax rate because of how that's set up with the government. It's like, okay, you guys created this many jobs, we're taxing every one of those people, so you guys don't technically have to pay these tax like. So the, the companies in our country or in the world are already so powerful. Like, this is 1996. We're in 2021 now. Yeah. The companies are now actively negotiating with our government to be like, mm. right? And we've talked about this openly on the podcast before. The biggest dick in the room is Apple. Yeah. Because they shut down the App Store, and everybody in the fucking world has an iPhone. Yeah. It's like... Good luck accessing your bank account. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, for Good real. luck doing that Venmo transaction, bro. Apple's got you. Uh-huh. So, like, I was like, damn, I read this, and I immediately highlighted it. And it was like, Jesus Christ. Like, that is that is how things are right now. Mm-hmm. It's not a minimal kind of a thing. It's, 
everyone down to Colin. Like Colin isn't directly negotiating with the government or Colin and Colin's like Bitcoin for, like peers. Like, but those guys are doing things with like lawyers and pro- like property and stuff to like avoid paying taxes so that they can travel more freely. And they're like, some of them are getting dual citizenships and you know, mm. they're, they're in and in and like a way free from the state. Like if the government makes a decision, they're just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Doesn't affect me. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Talk to one of those guys about politics. They're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> dude, like whatever, dude. Crypto to the moon. Yeah. Like exactly. they don't, they don't care because they literally understand that as the years go on and we'll get into the crypto environment, like the governments will have less and less power and you will have the ability to negotiate with them. Yeah. Instead of them being like, Hey, hey, you're in Pennsylvania, pay up mm-hmm. or you're going to jail. Mm-hmm. Right. Or not. I mean, I don't think, you know, I have a question real quick about that. Go for it. Um, so with avoiding that, not being tied down to a certain place or mm-hmm. location, uh, I've seen that a lot of, you know, rich people, millionaires, whatever, don't have any assets, really. They, like, let go of everything. Is that kind of a good way to avoid paying taxes and being tied down to a certain place? That's a really good question. And maybe we can get someone, maybe we can get, like, a tax guy, Mm. like, somebody that specializes in, like, tax deferment. Mm -hmm. I will elaborate on it, though. Okay. Not, (laughs) I can't go into, like, laws and things like that because obviously I'm not, like, a... You're a, not a liar, a lawyer. Yeah, or a liar. <laughs> <laughs> so basically the way that kind of works is there's a couple different ways you can go about it. You can, you know, own property mm. and then like your property holds your wealth and then like that's taxed differently and there's deferment and you can kind of like keep rolling it and rolling it and rolling it until you die. Mm-hmm. And in basic summary, there's a lot more detail to it than that. Um, but then there's also like the thought in being like, if I don't own a building or I don't own land, I don't have to pay taxes on that land. I don't have to pay the government taxes to, to have that piece of property, like that land. Like I don't have to pay taxes on the car I bought. I don't have to pay taxes on things like that. And then those guys will in return pay for a lot of things with credit cards and a lot of them zero interest very low interest and then those credit cards have points so the things they're buying with the credit cards then those they're getting these points and then they use the points to like pay for their travel and then they're traveling for free right so it's like very soon after what they're doing is like they're creating like this kind of like financial ecosystem for themselves they're not looking at just dollars they're looking at you know the credit card points mm-hmm. like I'm accruing and knowing how to use those properly is a huge huge part of that whole system um but getting into like really really rich people uh they own stuff they just own stuff differently they will start businesses and then the businesses like the way those businesses are taxed and then the money never really comes to them in so many ways it kind of just goes to another business and then it's like utilized there and then they like expense the money and then you know it's it's crucial I mean, that's like, we could do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which we can. I that's a good love, one. I just we, love this shit. <laughs> we might, we might want to write that down for like a good podcast, like ta- tax deferment. Like tax deferment. Just like nerding out on some of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to know um, more about it. I know plenty of people that do that for a living. And it will be interesting to see which one of them agrees to come onto a podcast and talk about it. Oh, that'd be Because sick. I think um, it's unfortunate that that's looked at as a negative 
yeah right by a lot of people i i don't agree avoiding taxes like i think you know we all need police we all need firefighters we you want to contribute to the schools and things like that but um governments are wasteful and this book goes into that in great detail it's mm. the, the larger the government gets or the not even necessarily the government the organization because the catholic church used to hold you know a decent amount of power in the world and the book talks about that and how it fell apart mm. and basically when it reached its peak in size there was so much waste that it literally ate itself apart. And that's kind of where we're at right now. The governments are just like beyond, boundlessly corrupt. Like if you think the United States government's not corrupt here, you got your head up your yeah. ass. <laughs> All the governments are corrupt. Yeah. Their job, is, like the government is basically like le- legalized and it's not even like, that's not even the right word. The, the government is basically like the mafia. It's a mafia. Mm-hmm. They promise us protection in return for money. Yeah. And then they waste it all. It's not spent on what we want it to be spent. Like, there's a lot of studies and financial, you know, examinations of, like, taxation and size of governments. And, like, as you increase budgets for things, it's like, hey, you want to increase the budget for schools? Somehow the military ends up with, like, a good chunk of that every time. Yeah, that's <laughs> right? true. It's pretty funny. So it's like all these people are like, we need to do this. We need to raise taxes for health care. It's like if you raise taxes for health care, <laughs> somehow the military yeah, ends that. up with 50% of that. Yeah. And I, the 50% is like a random number, but it's like a large chunk of it just goes to defense. Yeah. Because your country is always most concerned with defense. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it's a real thing or if it's like something they've created to think like we need to protect ourselves from and then they spend the money. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's so many different agendas and, you know, people and things in there that just like are going different ways that it's just going to be wasteful. Like you are privy to like a lot of our like upper level business conversations. Like you, like you, you overhear them or you see this on site or you're filming or whatever. And like, you see how, you know, even when we have disagreements internally, like we're still on the same page so we can still get a lot done. Yeah. Imagine if like the three top people at our company were just like completely different agendas and we were fighting against each other. How much money would we put into this company? And you'd be fucking out of a job. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's our government. Yeah. True. Cheers. <laughs> so, um, getting back into to what I highlighted, um, we believe as the modern nation state decomposes, the later day bar or later day barbarians will increasingly come to exercise power behind the scenes. Groups like the Russian mafia, which pick, uh, which basically were you know the bones of the former Soviet Union. People don't realize like everybody's like, oh, the Russian mafia is like the worst. It's like yeah, because they were like legit running government they were the running the show it mm-hmm. wasn't they weren't just doing you know r- racketeering some little stuff they were <laughs> in charge of the government interesting um and then like other ethnic criminal gangs or like other organizations drug lords like renegade agencies um will all just like kind of like start to develop right and we have all of that we have the cartel state in mexico like if you don't if you think mexico is in charge of their own thing you're mistaken. Read into it. Yeah. Um, United States, we have all kinds of stuff like that. Facebook, Google. Um, Twitter. Twitter. Like, all these organizations, they're, they're control. Everybody's controlling power for promises here. And when somebody's controlling power for promises, just mafia. 
<laughs> right? That's how I look at it. I'm like, dude. That, and, I, and I've always kind of seen it, not so clearly, but kind of had that feeling that I'm like, the government is just like, eh, it's just like, they're kind of just like, not really doing anything. And so it's, it's always been hard for me um, to kind of find a political place. A lot of people think I'm just like automatically conservative because I drive a diesel truck. <laughs> um, but I heard something the other day that was like really cool. I'm from an author of a book that we'll probably also get into. And it was um, politically homeless mm. was the term he used. He's like, I am politically homeless. I literally, like, we were, my wife and I were driving in the car. I'm like, damn, I'm politically homeless. Because I, I, I believe in a lot of opposing views. Like, you know, you, you have abortion on one side. Like, no, I don't agree with the conservatives on that at all. Like, mm-hmm. But then, like, on the other side, like, on the liberal side of things, it's like, I, I don't agree with like a lot of their points of view either. So it's like, how do I, yeah. how do I, how do I think anything is going to get done? And and I, it's not just me that feels this way. It's like I would think it's a lot of America. I feel the same way. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's just a lot. Like, and if so much of us feel this way, and our government's decomposing, like no doubt all these other organizations are going to pop up mm-hmm. because people like you and I, like although we're not going to like go join the Russian mafia, <laughs> if, if over the time like an organization pops up that's like, hey, like we're growing in power, we have our own little militia, like we believe in the center stuff, we're going to like try and get a president into office, like to like make things thing, and like say like one of the right or the left, like we're like no, like you can't do that. I'd be like whoa whoa whoa. Who says we can't do that? Mm-hmm. Like, that'd be a reason to stand up and fight. So, I, I don't necessarily look at, like, the whole, like, that's not necessarily a negative thing. It just means that, like, more smaller organizations are going to take over power instead of having, like, the United States as a whole. You're going to have, like, little mafias or, like, little militias and things like that. It's kind of cool. I don't know. Well, would you be in a militia? I might. I, don't, I, I also feel politically homeless. I just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of stuck in the middle. I don't know where to where to go and i think i don't think that's a bad thing i think it's good to be well i mean like we're reading this book yeah so like we're gonna be ready for it yeah is that bad or good it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. because is it is what it is like at the end of the day you can't really if you're upset about where you are the where the world is all the time you're gonna be upset all the time for sure right because then it's just gonna be how it is Mm -hmm. and that's just I don't know. I don't get that. Maybe I just confuse people by saying it's that. Bad it's bad energy, bro. It's, bad, it's bad juju. Exactly. Don't bring that shit around. Yep. Um, yeah, so that pretty much just reiterates what we were saying there. Um, A lot of good keynotes. Yeah, so basically, right right in the first part of the book here, um, it goes in. The, the authors of this book wrote two books before this. One closer to this book, and then one book in the 80s they wrote all kind of like the same format, like like analyzing the future. Crazy. And they were incredibly accurate it's crazy. that they go through and they, they say like, um, they just, you know, pretty much announce all the things they predicted, right? What do these guys do as a profession? Were they philosophers? No, they're, the fuck? they're economists. They're economists, I'm pretty uh. sure. Um, the authors of the book are James Dale Davison and Lord William Rees Mogg. They just thought all day, bro. Yeah, Lord. Let's type that in. Lord. R O. I mean, L O R D E or no? No E. So he's a real lord. <laughs> okay, Lord William Reeves. Reese. Reese? R E E. 
mug. They, they, that bro. Oh, black and white picture. British journalist. Let's pull up the wiki because it'll be right. <laughs> All right. So William Reese Mogg um, was a British newspaper journalist who was the editor of the Times from 67 to 81. Interesting. Hmm. Cool. Go down to books. Click books. Um, the reigning, the crisis of world inflation, blood in the streets, investment profits in a world gone mad. And that was written in 87. And a lot of the things I'm about to like kind of breeze over real quick. Cause I do expect you to read the book. Right. Um, Gilmar. And I will. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you did. I'm telling you a lot of good things. I'm basically like, I'm telling you, I'm telling you how good the steak is. I know. I, I don't want you to think that I'm not. Li- I'm totally invested and in, into it, dude. Oh, dude. I appreciate Don't flex shit. on me, dude. I am not flexing on anyone. Do you see your chest like but that? I had to sit up. What do you mean? Oh, that's what we're calling it now? <laughs> Next time I sit up on somebody, dude. Be like, what are you doing, bro? I'm sitting up, dude. What do you mean, what am I doing? Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll just like, I didn't highlight any of these, but I did think it was important enough to put a green sticky here yeah. instead of a yellow one. I don't. Maybe the whole page is important. I'm not sure why I thought that. I read, <laughs> I read kind of obscure times. I was like, oh, maybe I'll use a green one on this page. <laughs> it's so stupid. Go birds. Um, basically, uh, they said, we said that American predominance was in decline. Basically, they're saying what they said in 1987. So 10 years before this, they're confirming what they said came true. We said that American predominance was in decline, which would lead to economic imbalances and distress, including 1929-style stock market crash. Experts were all but unanimous in denying such a thing could happen. Yet within six months of October 1987, the world markets were convulsed by most the most violent sell-off of the century. So, I mean... We'll give them credit for that, but six <laughs> six months isn't <laughs> you. You got to give people time to read the book. Yeah, Jesus. you know, jeez, <laughs> six months. Dude. Right. Want me to read that shit next week? Uh, like here, here's a good one. Um, we told readers to expect the collapse of communism. So this was in '87. Again, experts laughed. Yet in 1989, two years after the book was written. Um, the events that no one could have predicted, the Berlin Wall fell as revolutions swept away communist regimes from the Baltic uh, to Bucharest. We explained while the multi-ethnic empire, the Bolshevik nomenclature inherited from the czars would inevitably crack apart. And at the end of December 1991, the hammer and sickle banner was lowered over the Kremlin for the last time and the Soviet Union ceased to exist. So like they're this book that they wrote in 87, which I, I actually haven't read. Um, I do own it. I haven't gotten to it yet. Um, it, it it did a good job predicting the fall of the Soviet Union, I guess. Seems that way. So, like, uh, it goes into Africa here years before, and then also Oklahoma City bombing, like years before the Oklahoma bombing and the attempt to blow up the World Trade Center. We expense, or because if you don't know, someone tried to blow up the World Trade Center before somebody tried to fly Blaine in. Yeah. Or successfully tried. Successfully executed building aviation. <laughs> Not funny. <laughs> okay. You got it. I only know that because Biggie said that in a lyric. 
trying to blow up like the World Trade. Oh, good for you. Yeah. You're cultured. A little bit. Um, so years before that all went down, we explained why the United States faced an upsurge in terrorism. Um, so it sounds like we might need to cover that book. Crazy. And yeah. then, you know, the, it, it, it's... It's got like the war on drugs in here, Osama bin Laden. If a lot, we could do an entire episode on Osama bin Laden. I'd like that. He worked for the CIA. He did, yeah. The Osama bin Laden was our boy. Yeah. We turned on him, and then he turned on us. Oops, <laughs> oops, oops. Wrong guy to turn on. Oops. <laughs> right, dude. Like, <laughs> out of everyone, dudes in Washington, we keep our promises. Yeah, sure. Mister Osama bin Laden. <laughs> um. Then we get we then like we start getting into like the Y two K thing. We'll skip that because the world never ended. I'm reading about something like that now. I'm just sick and tired of it. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I think the Y two K was just. It, it's amazing how smart people can be so stupid sometimes. We'll get in. That's where we'll conclude that. Okay. Right. So I'll I'll do this quote first. Machinery is aggressive. The weaver becomes a web. The machinist, a machine. If you do not use tools, they use you. Right? So what do you think that means? AI, bro. Yeah. Right? Machinery is aggressive. So if the government is a machine, right, and we basically misuse it, it'll weave its own web and then do its own purpose. Yeah. Right? So AI is a great point, but this was from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um who I don't think AI was on his uh, on Definitely not, on yeah. it, you know Ra- Ralph wasn't a big robot guy like he wasn't watching BattleBots or Doesn't anything seem like, that. like it. No. Nah. He made it, he might have traded Yu-Gi-Oh cards, traded you maybe Pokemon guy. I don't know. I feel like Yu-Gi-Oh guys are more tech. I don't know enough about either of those things, so I'm just going <laughs> to say I'm going to say Yu-Gi-Oh. So that's I Yeah. Let say less. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what what is cool about this this whole section is that it's just dis- it's describing the level of technology and and where it's heading and like the the balance between you know offense and defense and moving things forward. Um, but one one point. One thing that we'll point out here is there's there's two points. Equality and the predominance of the infantry, as well as advantages and disadvantages of the scale in violence. Right? So each one of these has like their their own section. So we'll we'll try and skip over it. Um speed read it, I guess. Uh weapons are, that are relatively cheap that can be employed by non-professionals and enhance the military importance of infantry tend to equalize power, right? So for all those people out there that think we should get rid of guns, suck that, Yeah. right? Just suck on that sentence because it, it just says it, like, says it how it is. Weapons that are relatively cheap and that can be employed by non-professionals and enhance the military importance of infantry tend to equalize power. So we're talking like back in the day when you had a sword, you had to have money to have a sword mate. And then you had to learn how to wield the sword, yeah. right? So everybody was still using spears and their fists to just kill each other. And then like those wars, like wars like that, they weren't wars. They were like 
so different than what we have now. Like, we're not blowing down an entire city because, like, you got to get together people that actually fist fight with each other. And then, like, that's exhausting. <laughs> like, that's only going to last a little while. Like, and then you're like, ah, oh, that costs a lot. You know, we don't really want to do that. So you really got to have a reason to get down on each other when everybody has a spear. Right. Right. If everybody's got an AR-15 and a handgun on their hip, how many people are fighting each other? Probably nobody. Right. Everybody's strapped. So it's just kind of like eh, everybody knows the costs. That's the beauty of jujitsu. Right. You know, you know what somebody else could be holding. Yeah. Right. I don't, if I don't know you and I come up with you, I don't have cauliflower ear. You don't have cauliflower ear. Well, he doesn't look like much, but I don't look like much. So it's like, uh, do I want to get into a tussle right now? Yeah, I don't know. Because, he, dude, this guy could ankle lock me and rip my fucking Achilles off right now. Yeah, he could knows? He could be a black belt for all I know. A lot of my friends that are black belts look, don't look like much. Mm. So it's, you know, the but the downside of that comparison is that you have to take years to learn to get to that level. Whereas with the rifle, you know, I could hand my wife a rifle and 15 minutes later she's pretty well trained enough to you know chalk a few dudes out so yeah i shot a gun for the first time ever with last week and yeah so nothing yeah pro i learned it <laughs> not that not now, that hard yo he's e gilmore has the equality of infantry right now fucking <laughs> <laughs> headshot someone no, um so hitting down to the bottom here uh this was a distinctly different circumstance from the middle ages when a farmer with a pitchfork he could have not afforded more than that he could scarcely have hoped to withstand a heavily armed knight on horseback no one was writing in 1276 that all men were created equal right mm -hmm. but now we got rifles everywhere and what are we talking about all the time equality why because everybody's got a gun yep silence me not gonna work so that's just something to think about going into the into the next level of Sovereignty, right? Eventually, and we'll get more into this, like the government's going to start shrinking and thing, you know, things are going to start changing even more so than they already have since 1997 that you're probably going to want your own gun. And that's pretty much what this book's saying. It's like things are going to get potentially to the point where it's like the government really doesn't have the authority or nor do you want them to have the authority. So you're going to want a gun yep. or a pitchfork to, you know, take up arms. Yep. The unfortunate side of things is that when they get to the bottom here and they're like, hey, take up, you know, up against a heavily armed knight on horseback. If I shoot a public official and then they can't find me and they think I'm in the mountain, they will smoke me with a drone. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep. They'll just be like, hey, somewhere over here, napalm, hit that. Boom. burn it you know what i'm saying so like we still we we teeter on kind of two sides i i don't necessarily completely agree with them on on like these points going forward because it's kind of like ah eh, like there is equality of you know war here going on but domestically like we have a lot more technology than maybe they you know in africa this probably holds true yeah they don't have to worry about their government flying like a robot into their house so then going into Going into the advantages and disadvantages of the scale of violence, another variable that helps determine whether there are large governments or whether there are few large governments or many small ones is the scale of an organization required to deploy the prevailing weapons. Okay? Mm -hmm. World War II. Boots on the ground. Everybody had a Thompson or BAR or, you know, whatever, you know, rifle they had. Everybody had one. Some people had two. 
and a handgun. Right? The, the, the scale of the war could be employed on such a level that everybody could be in. Right, you didn't need to have like a hundred trained dudes. Like you have, you you know, you have individuals like, um, you know, like my brother and like his friends now. Like they're all very trained, and they do a lot of like, you know, the army's heavy lifting. Yeah. In times when there's not a lot of action, but like, say you go back to the early two thousands when we were invading Afghanistan, like everybody that was capable was there. So it's kind of like the scale of how things get need to get changes with you know how many people have it. You have more people that have guns, your, gun, your battle's going to be bigger. Mm-hmm. So it just seems like seems like no brainer shit when you when you get into it. Like it just makes you think though for a minute. Kind of like, wow, that makes complete sense. But that's <laughs> not something you like stop. At, like when you're sitting in traffic, you're not like huh, thinking about this. Like, it's just like oh, interesting war, <laughs> war, war. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So what are you thinking? You feel any type of way? You feel like you're going to go get like a rifle or a bazooka or something? Um, I don't know. The way, so the way I used to look at guns was uh, I just think, why do I need one? I feel like if you buy a gun, you attract a certain kind of attention or energy. Um, which but, can be true. Which can be true. But, you know, it's, I, I feel that before I get a gun, first I want to know how to use one properly. Just because shooting a gun for the first time last week kind of opened my eyes a lot to, how how proper you have to be with a gun? How safe you have to? There's you know, a lot of technique. There's a lot of technique to it. Like we we talk we talk about the couch militia mm-hmm. here before, and all those guys are like got guns and this that and the other thing, and they're not in shape and like they don't like to work out. Yeah. And like there's a lot more to be said about all of those things that we put up. They're like, yeah, you can all have guns, but like if an army ranger unit shows up at your fucking neighborhood and you're on the wrong side of that business. It's not going to matter how trained you guys are. Yeah. Like, they're going to tactically roll through your neighborhood and just mop you up. Yep. So, like, you know, armed knights on horseback. Uh-huh. Exactly. Hunt, so, know. there's a, it's um something I like to say a lot that's way too aggressive, but it really isn't if you get people to think about it. It's like your fundamental goal, especially when you're raising children, is you want to make them hard to kill. Mm-hmm. Right, and the reason people don't look at that, they're like, oh, my God, a killing murder? <laughs> right, but that shit happens. Yeah, it happens. Right? Cars can kill you. People can kill you. You know, shit, you know. Natural causes. If you're out swimming in the wrong waters, a whale could scoop you up. Yep. Right, free willy. <laughs> Shout out. Like an Uber. Yeah, so there's so many things that that could kill you. Like, coronavirus is, like, not just, it's just one of millions of things. Right. So why wouldn't you want to be so well-rounded on as many levels as possible so you could be like, eh, I'm good. Like, people ask me all the time, like, one of my neighbors is a real joker. Somebody's like, why, why do you get up so early to work out? Why do you go to jujitsu on Saturday mornings? Why are you going there after, after work? Like, why, why are you always going to the gym? Like, literally, every time I see him, it's like, because normally when I see him, I have, like, a gym bag with me. Right. I'm like, dude. I want to be hard to kill. I don't know what the fuck to say to you. And he's like, what do you, what do you, what do you worry about somebody killing you for? I'm like, I'm not. Good luck. Right? I can outrun you. Yeah. I'm scrappy. I, like, have no kill energy inside me. So it's like, that's because I just behave like that. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's so many people that you walk around and you're like, you see them and you're like, wow, you're really vulnerable. Like, if somebody made a choice to, to like, 
hurt you right now, it would be nothing. It would be it would be like it's like breaking a twig. Right. And like I don't want to be that person. Like I don't want to be someone that they can just like under any circumstance, if somebody tries to shoot me, if somebody tries to choke me, if somebody hits me with a car, somebody tries to crash into my car while I'm driving, like I'm defense, like it's not like I'm going around like, oh my God, somebody's going to attack me. I'm just like aware that that could happen. And you know, your respect is such like cancer can kill you. Yeah. You're smoking cigarettes. You're obviously hard, a little easier to kill. Like if you eat McDonald's every day for lunch, heart disease is going to kill you. You're easier to kill than me. It's not just violence. It's, it's everything. It's everything. I drink more water than you. Boom. Dehydrated. Fucking. <laughs> yeah, go pee yellow somewhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, so I'm going to skip over a couple of these sections because I, like, highlighted stuff, but it's more for, like, me than it is to benefit any people here. Mm-hmm. Um, not th- This book is a difficult read because it makes you think a lot. It makes you stop and, like, you got to, like, process stuff. Like, hmm. Right. Like, you can't just keep reading. Like, yeah. you want to break this book into, like, 10 pages or less sections, probably, if I had to guess. If you sit down and tell me you crushed out 30 pages of this book in a time, I'm going to be like, are you okay? <laughs> right? Do you have a lazy eye now? Yeah, right. right so we're, we're up to page 97 with just, like, the facts. And I think this is, it's, it's almost a 400-page book. So mm-hmm. you're getting into it. But w- one thing that in this chapter, which is called The Last Days of Politics... This section is called disdain as a leading indicator. All right. So before we even get into this, we know it's going to be good because we got a shitload of disdain in our country mm-hmm. right now. So moral outrage against corrupt leaders is not an isolated historical phenomena, but a common precursor of change. Right. So we've been, this book was written in 97. It's calling it out in 97. So, like, we're all like, how long has this been going on? Right? <laughs> they're just they're talking about it almost. Like 30 years ago? 40? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, 25. 25. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. I can't think. <laughs> it's okay, dude. We're just dropping bombs here. Yeah. Um, it happens again and again whenever one error gives way to another, whenever technological change has divorced the old forms from the new moving forces of economy, moral standards, um, and people or moral standards shift and people begin to treat those in command of the old institutions with growing disdain. This widespread revulsion comes into evidence well before people developed a new coherent ideology of change. Right? So doesn't it feel like 97, by the way? Yeah. Doesn't it feel like right now there's people that are, pissed off at everybody in power everybody is mad at somebody everybody in office has somebody that fucking hates them right there's not a single person in office right now who who doesn't have someone completely opposing them i would say yeah so it's kind of unique that and you know over 20 years ago this was saying like hey like it's going to get worse and today when you look up you're like hey do we agree upon anything everybody hates the government we kind of agree upon that, but we have zero agreement on change. There's moral standards are changing daily. We have political disagreements, and nobody's agreeing on like a direction to head in because we are in between the industrial age and the information age. I could say that we're closer into the information age than we are closer to the industrial. To industrial. Age. Mm-hmm. I could say we're in the information age now. We haven't. We make nothing in our country anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Everything's information. It's value. That's what we're doing right now. We're literally creating content with people, you know, are paying for like everything is is transmissible. I had an idea a while ago, like when the iP- Apple iPad touch, like those little ones are the Yeah. Um and call me a liar, call me not. You can ask my ex girlfriend or my friends at the time. I, I wanted to get like ten of those and make fake not fake Instagram accounts, but put an Instagram account on each one of them and just upload content. Like one of them was like one of the accounts we had was like strapped and sexy. It was just like girls with guns. <laughs> right. Whatever. I was trying to get whatever. Yeah. And then like I caught so much like, what are you doing? Why why would you do that? That's dumb. This and anything. And my and it wasn't just that. It was the car pages and gun pages, like the different shit. And I got distracted and caught so much like just like blah attention from them. I'm just like, all right, maybe this is a bad idea. And then fast forward like five years later, people have like million million followers on Instagram and they don't even have their face posted. They're just posting pictures and monetizing that. And I'm literally like, hmm. This will be the last time that I listen to anybody else's opinions. On yeah. This. Right. That was the last opportunity that I probably missed on. That or the IV bank idea. But that oh, was yeah. just, I just didn't want to do that. That was just, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good the idea. Bags and the too, needles. And too the much work with the old, you know, yeah. rules. <laughs> too many rules. Too many rules. So, you know, it's it doesn't seem like we're going to be agreeing upon anything anytime soon. Right. Hmm. Which brings us in, like, to one of the coolest chapters in this book was the last days of the Holy Mother Church, right? Which, like, I've talked to you about, like, the church yeah. before and how, yeah. how corrupt they were. And this whole one section goes into, like, exactly what the church was doing, what the church was like then versus what our government is like then. And that church fell apart so horribly, leading to the Dark Ages, which was, like, not a great time in human history. Mm. Literacy dropped. Numeracy dropped. Like, nobody could read books. Pe- books weren't even being printed. It's crazy. Let's, you know what I'm saying? Not good. Let's hope they fix our electrical grid before all this stuff falls apart. Oh, shit. Right? So, um, trying to find some good stuff here. This is, this is, is that the, that book you gave me the example about why, um, there's, uh, no meat on Fridays and stuff. Cause is that in here? Yeah. Is it from um, that or is it from another book you told me that from? I don't know if it goes over that. Yeah. I've read a few books on the Catholic Church. Boy. Yeah. Mm. Oh. <laughs> it's just a business. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. That's why I'm just... It's hard for me to take religious people seriously because of that. Yeah. I value people's religions and I value the need for like a higher power and I value people's, you know, commitment to that. Mm -hmm. But when you are so caught up into the church, I, I look at you, unfortunately I look at you like a fool Mm -hmm. because I'm like, dude, you're just victimized by an organization that's taken way more from this earth than it's given back. Yep. Right. And, you know, you can say, like, oh, no, my church does good things. And I'm like, if you want to sit down at a table across from me, we can we can bullet box. Like, we'll just say one fact after another until you just give up because I will bury you with facts on the church <laughs> that just, like, you know. Yeah. Dude, the church is a mafia. It is. M- the mafia. Yeah, bro. The, probably the cleanest one of all time. It's not even that clean. But they're clean at doing things, I guess. Bro, they charge you $500 to splash 
fucking water on your baby's head. So, you yeah, know, talk to me about that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I guess that's better. I mean. Abort. We'll just. Next. Next. I'm not going to. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, chapter seven. It takes us a little while to get into chapter seven because of all the chapters leading up to chapter seven. It's one through six. Mm-hmm. Tried, Good tried to catch you slipping. Good counting. But this is when we get into cryptocurrency. This is the crypto chapter. Oh, Jesus. Back in 97? Right. So in 97, we're talking about cryptocurrency. He doesn't, there's no Bitcoin. There's mm. no. No name for it yet, but we really start getting into the transcending of locality chapter, right? And locality meaning like where you're living. Locality, we're local to Bucks County, PA. Transcending meaning like we don't have to live here if we don't want to. We can be wherever we want. Yeah. We cannot because we decided to build a business that requires us (laughs) to build houses (laughs) in a certain area. So maybe that's something we think about in the next company we start, Gilmar. Mm-hmm. Do something a little bit more mobile, like a podcast or YouTube channel. Yeah, something like that. Um, so, like, ultimately, they still call it cyberspace back then. I hate that word, cyberspace. It's just not space. All right, Star Trek. It's all right. So, cyberspace transcends loca- locality. It involves nothing less than an instantaneous sharing of data everywhere and nowhere all at once. Huh. Right? So, it's always there. You're sharing it to nowhere if nobody's looking for it, mm-hmm. but it's being shared. This podcast is out there. It exists on the internet, but if nobody is currently watching it right now, who's it playing to? Is it just playing? Huh? Fuck. It's queued up. It's just there though. Yeah. It's just there. It's just waiting. Isn't that insane? Mm. So an entire world is being built separate from our local world where things just like exist infinitely. Yeah. Easy. Don't eat mushrooms and read this book. <laughs> I might though. Yeah, <laughs> sign up. All right. So, so we got. We're just gonna skip ahead because I got three tabs on this Let's page. Let's go. Dude. Look at that. Three tabs it's up. A good page. This is a good page. Yeah. I kind of wanted to start with it, but I was like afraid of when I was like looking through what I highlighted in this book before this morning. I was like, oh, what are we gonna talk about? I remember the book, but like, what are we going to talk about? Yeah. I was like, can we just, let's just skip to this. <laughs> let's just skip to this. And this is, uh, this is just basically going through the f- stages of the information age. And the first stage, at this point, the net or the internet is no more than an exotic delivery system for catalogs. Like in the beginning, like no, nobody listening probably understands what a catalog is, but there used to be like mini filing cabinets with information in them. They were mini, miniature. They were like little things and you would slide through them and that's how you would access library books mm. and then ultimately they put those little like things of information onto computers so they basically just put all like the hard data of it and you'd have to search through it like very aggressively and until there was like search engines created which like google wasn't the first search engine anything that was searchable back then like needed like you needed to create it like a set of rules and per, and like parameters in order for you to go find the information. Right. And then Google like kind of connected all that together um, among other companies, but they did it the best. And then the second stage, an intermediate stage of the internet, uh, an intermediate, the intermediate stage of the internet, commerce will employ information technologies in way that would have been impossible in the industrial era such as long-distance accounting and medical diagnosis. 
More examples of these new applications of advanced computation, computational power are spelled out below. Okay. Let's see. Not going to spell it out. <laughs> if I didn't highlight it, it's going to the pages are typed small in this book. Mm. Um, and then three, a more advanced stage, which is where we are now. A more advanced stage will mark the transition to true cyber commerce. Not only will transactions occur over the net, but they will migrate outside the jurisdictions of nation states. Crazy. Purchasing like through eBay. I can buy things from Canada. Yep. Buy things from anybody. Most of our stuff is purchased, you know, through China. Yep. Payment will be rendered in cyber currency. Profits will be booked into cyber banks. Boy to the moon. To the moon, son. 1997, they're talking about Bitcoin, Binance, Coinbase, Coin Wallets, PayPal's, shit like that. PayPal, everything. Right here. Many transactions will not be subject to taxation. Right? And that's and that's the the crux of this book. Yeah. Right. We'll get into a couple little things here, but that sentence in and of itself is what the fundamental prop like my takeaway from this book, the fundamental problem that we have is how do we kill the government? And be successful. Mm -hmm. The cyber currency and the way it was engineered, the way we have it today, was set up to be transparent, right? Drug dealers don't use Bitcoin anymore and things like that because it's easy to track them. It's easy to track fraud. If you were to pay a politician with some Bitcoin, it'd be so easy for the federal <laughs> government to figure it out. Yeah, everything's on a blockchain. Right? So, honesty, this book is fundamentally about honesty, right? The, the like the more honest and transparent your business is or your practices are the more money you will reap in this next century right because everyone that is listed as corrupt is going to hang F maybe actually hang yeah right i don't know that i don't know in on our like things have deteriorated pretty quickly over the last 2 years so m you might get that bad but previously, like, had I read this book, before 2020, had I read this book, I'd be like, I'm going to invest in crypto. And it seems like things are going to get rocky soon. But over the last two years, this book dives into all of what happened in the last two years. Maybe not like, hey, on April 2nd, yeah. we're going to shut down. Like, all of that power grab, cryptocurrency, the government running their, their debt up, the dollar devaluing how taxation is being managed, right? The government this year is grabbing tax money like it's never before. All that money that they gave you through those stimulus systems, they had a, they, they were able to track all of that, how you used it, right? Cryptocurrency is a huge one. The debate on how you pay taxes, do you pay taxes? They want their tax money. If I'm earning cryptocurrency but I'm not in the country, how are they going to tell me to pay taxes yeah. on my Coinbase account? Look, cryptocurrency isn't in the United States. It's on the internet. The software is on the internet. None of this, no, there's no physical need. There's, you're you're going to start struggling with paying taxes because nothing is going to be bolted to the ground. Yep. Right? Why am I paying the police for protection when my surveillance camera system and the drone that flies through my house is doing the job for them? 
And then the robot that's got the machine gun tacked to his <laughs> arm comes in and vaporizes anybody, right? And I just saw a commercial the other day for a drone that flies through your house. I saw that. I right? saw that, yeah. So, like, what are you paying for? Private security, all of these things are all going to be more and more prevalent. We pay for security at the mall. We, like, it's, it's a low level in our country, but if you go to other countries, it's nothing to see security with rifles or guns or yeah. armored vehicles. It's like, are those police? No. No. The private security. Who pays them? Whoever they're protecting. Yep. I've seen it. So it's like, if you're a sovereign individual, and well, like say we're sovereign boys, right? Sovereign SBs. Boys. SBs, baby. For life. Yeah. To the moon. SBs yep. for life. We're going to have security. I don't give a shit what you do with the police. You pay taxes. I don't care. You, you guys need the police? Good. So you, like... All that stuff's just kind of like all those ideas are going to change and they are like on the cusp of changing now. Every like people are demanding for change of ideals, but they don't know what ideals they want. That's where that's really dangerous. Yeah. So right now it's leaving up to everybody's like, ah, we'll go this way, we'll go that way, we'll try this, we'll try that. But like this book spells out where we should go. And if if we ever get a politician on here, I'm definitely gonna ask them to like read this book and then talk to me about it because they're there's a there's a lot of things in here that um it if you if you had a chance to sit down and like talk to someone like like AOC mm. I'd love her to read this book and then sit down with me and then be like how do you validate the way you feel I mean obviously like one book's not going to change the way somebody feels right but this book has was written in the past and a lot of this 90% of what they I've read in this book has already happened so what's exciting about this book is like that 10 other percent, I'm going to grab that 10%, right? I'd be a billionaire if I read this book at eight years old. Oh, definitely. You know what I'm saying? I would have been ready. You would have been ready for I it all. I ready. <laughs> the time is now. The time is now. Do any books exist like that for... Autobots. Assemble. <laughs> Assemble. <laughs> Do any books exist like that for... You know that would have came out today or a couple of years ago recently. That we could then tell they're basically speaking on fifty years from now or thirty years from now. Yeah. So there's a book that I just bought the paperback version, and we, my wife and I, made a point to buy the paperback and not like the Kindle version in case it gets canceled. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> and that book is called um, San Francisco. Okay. Like San Francisco. Right. Um. And I haven't. I literally the book literally just came in. Um. Last week, maybe. And I'm really excited to read it because it's all, it's written by a, a, what was a previous liberal, extremely liberal policy individual. And it goes into discussing like how the liberal movement has ruined our cities in the sense that we have mismanaged the homeless, um, homeless, homelessness. Um, because we've misidentified it and mislabeled it and, and miss, and like, we, we look at like giving people housing and things like that the wrong way. And we won't get into that now. And that's that, that statement there could get me into a little bit of trouble just in and of its sense mm. with some people, which is fine. But the book is written to kind of like explore the ideals of other countries and how they were successful in reducing homelessness and, and treating, you know, addiction and and mental health 
um, because a lot of like the way we deal with homelessness now um, ignores all of those things. Yeah, which it's it's kind of funny how the people that are on the side of the fence that's supposed to be more compassionate is hurting so many people. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, we were listening to like a bio of the book or something like that in the car, and I was like, buy it, buy. <laughs> she's like all right now i'm already doing it. Like, it i was like dude i need to read that because it, it it talks a lot about like the economics of it and the philosophies and psychology and things like that so um we'll do one one of these things maybe we'll do like one of these book things like once a month or something be, yeah that's cool man it's a lot of good information if we do a book thing like this every week people are gonna not think i'm okay <laughs> they're gonna be like how's he read these books so fast i'll be like hmm I'm a reader. You read. It's called not sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really cool. So the age of the sovereign individual. Um, as the scale of warfare falls, defense and protection will be mounted on a smaller scale. Therefore, they will increasingly be private rather than public goods provided on a for-profit basis by private contractors. This is already evident in the privatization privatization of policing in north america um the security guard is what they're talking about Uh, mall security security. Uh, projections indicate that the number of private security guards will increase 24 percent from 24 percent to 40 percent and above or no will increase 24 percent to 40 percent above 1990 levels by the year 2005 so it's going to increase, you know, roughly a quarter to half of what it currently was in 1990 or not, yeah, when this book was written Damn. or 1990, which was where these measurements were taken. Right. So by 2005, private security was like a real thing, which was definitely true in our country. At least I know people that stepped up security. You can't look at private security in the sense of a big dude with a bulletproof vest and a handgun in a suit. Private security are ring cameras. Yeah. Private security are the nests or like all those things. Like there are people that now are concerned with having cameras on their homes that if we had sold them a home in 98, we're like, Hey, you want to put cameras on the house? Like, what do we need cameras for? Yeah. Now it's, everybody's got a ring camera. Everybody. So private security is extremely more prevalent. So when you're, when you're reading this book, you can't take things like what they're saying and just, just go so black and white with it. Like private security is it's is it security, and is it not attached to the government? Private security. VPN would that be considered private security? Yes. So yeah. Yeah. Virtual preferred network. Yeah. Definitely. If you if you don't know what that is, look into it. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> All right. Um. Should we get into the Clintons? Yeah. Let's do it real quick. Should we do it? Why not? <laughs> I don't know much about them, but. Yeah. And also bad things. (laughs) All right. The pot calls the kettle black. Anyone who has followed the reports in our newsletter, Strategic Investment, during the 1990s will immediately recognize the irony in the Clinton administration's posturing about Samper, which is an individual. We'll kind of go over what he did, I guess. Um, There is credible evidence that the U.S. President Bill Clinton has done everything Samper is accused of and worse. If you would not take our word for it, Clinton's background is highlighted in gaudy detail in two well-researched books 
by authors on opposite sides of the political divide. I now own both these books. So, Roger Morris, who takes generally a left-wing perspective, was a national security officer in the Nixon administration, as well as a senior aide to Dean Acheson, President Lyndon Johnson, and Walter Mondale. Morris has a doctorate from Harvard University, and his book, Partners in Power, details a sordid pass for Clinton that makes Samper seem like a Boy Scout. <laughs> and there's just like a small section about this. And the, the whole reason is that like how, how like they're just going into how corrupt our government is. There's 97. How corrupt our government is and like, that as like indications is like, hey, like things are about to change because like it cannot get any worse than this. Yeah. Uh, Morris alleges that Bill Clinton became a CIA recruit and spent his stud student days at Oxford monitoring anti-Vietnam War activists. As Morris sees things, like I, I'm going to read this book. I've read a little bit about this and some of this stuff holds a lot of weight. Crazy. Um. Student days of Oxford. Morris sees things. Clinton remained a CIA asset through his period as governor, facilitating a CIA drug and gun running operation centered in Miena, Arkansas, which, like, you know, he's in charge of, right? And that was called Too Fast or Fast and Furious. That <laughs> whole operation oh, was well, literally called Fast and Furious. Interesting. So little people know this that the you know United States government got caught drug running and running guns to South America and the way they I'm correct. I could be corrected, correctable in this statement, but I'm pretty sure the way they got caught was a gun that was taken off the streets. Like it went through the court system, ended up killing a law enforcement officer somewhere else. And they were like, wait a minute, this gun is registered in evidence someplace else. And they were like, wait a minute, none of these guns are here. Wait a minute. Where are all these guns at? I was like, oh, shit. The CIA was giving them to the gorillas and shit to fight wars. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Morris seems to indict the CIA for this whole drug trafficking rather than ent entertaining the possibility that Clinton threw, threw in with corrupt faction of one agency, which seems more probable. Either interpretation, however, still suggests that the main covert intelligence agency of the U.S. government either directly or indirectly participates in organized drug running on a large scale. If the CIA is not an adjunct of organized crime, it is tripping dangerously close to it. So basically all of that shit happened underneath Bill Clinton's watch. And there's yeah. like a couple little bit of, there's a decent paper trail of him being like, hey, don't look over here. <laughs> <laughs> I did not run those drugs. I'll do that. Do that. I did not. I did not do that. I sound like Forrest Gump. Yeah, a little bit. Jenna. Yeah, Wait a minute. Does Forrest Gump sound like Bill Clinton? Or does Bill Clinton sound like Forrest Gump? John Knight. <laughs> Hello, Ray. <laughs> oh, shit. Who was that? I don't know. It was, dude. It was, oh, my God. Did we just open a can of worms? I can't go back. Was that Bill or Forrest? Hello, Ray. I don't know which one is who. I, you said to run. <laughs> <laughs> I did not do it. I don't know who it is, bro. Uh, yeah. Um... Yeah, 
So I guess you know we're getting we're getting into the weeds. Yeah, I feel like this, but we'll leave it at this. We got a whole bunch of other shit, but we're we're gonna close it out talking about since 1859. It has been evident that the whole drama of life in human, in the human, the animal, or the vegetable kingdom consists of a conti- continuous struggle for survival, which in which those species or cultures that are nearest to each other may be the greatest rivals. Mm. How dangerous is that statement? Mm-hmm. Drop These ideas have been so powerful that it has been impossible for anyone to think about the nature of humanity or the problems of morality since the time in which they were developed with or without responding to them. So like we're talking about Hitler. Yeah. The right? old Mein Kampf. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> if you didn't get into that um Hit- Hitler Hitler Marx you know Lenin Stalin Mao like all of those people can be considered social darwinists. Right? Social Darwinism is, like, the thought that, like, hey, you know, the Aryan nation is the strongest, or maybe maybe not the strongest, maybe the Aryan nation is the favored, or whatever the parameter is. Like, I am going to take defensive action to make sure that that stays true, or whatever. Whereas what Hitler did, right? And the book, the, his book, like, um, Mein Kampf, is basically, like, I'm pretty sure Mein Kampf is tra- just translates into... Um, that was my struggle. Yeah, it probably says it on here somewhere. I didn't highlight it. Uh, struggle for survival. Oh, okay. Right. And, like, we'd, we'd have to talk about, like, the history and, like, the, 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 the type like the type of world it was in Germany back then for that to all prevail. Mm. But it, it's alarming to think that, like, today we, we don't have, like, we, you know, people say we have the racial thing going on. And, it exists to agreeable or disagreeable levels. Um, but what we do have is, you know, right verse left, right? You have vaccine versus no vaccine, mask versus no mask. So, like, you really have to, like, uh, th- this book, this book, um, it doesn't spare the fact that things are going to get nasty, right? With all this disruption and shrinking of governments and, you know, decentralized money and all this like this book also talks a lot about the violence of things and like what people should be prepared for and chivalry is coming back and chivalry back in the day you know chivalrous knights like knights were basically biker gangs yeah back in the day they raped and pillaged they murdered people they did very little protecting of shit they were basically just the toughest dudes around with the swords they took they, they had things their way they were the peak of society, right? So you have to really, really think about these sovereign individuals and chivalry and, like, if there are more more powerful people, more of them, they have less power, but there's more of them. So there won't be, like, a Bezos, but there'll be, you know, a thousands, maybe a million Collins, mm-hmm. which there aren't now, right? Like, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of danger there. Because you have to you have to worry that, you know, with 
the convo like with all this information and things like that that there's a lot of manipulation of this information so it's like it's critical f to read books like this and then go back and like explore the history that books like this extrapolate on like the catholic church or hitler or the fall of um west and east the german like the you yeah. know berlin wall it's important and imperative for us to like go back and look at that so that we don't get caught up in that bullshit. Because right now I look out and I see like, uh, I've unfortunately more and more people getting caught up in that bullshit when the time is now to take advantage of like increasing your, you know, your financial survivability and, and things like that, because it could potentially get very rough and you know, more people are going to get money but less people are going to get money. Yeah. So, you know, think about like, right, everybody wants more people to have money, but that still means a lot of people still have to lose. So, you know, this book basically sets you up to think like not a loser mm -hmm. in the new information age. I can see that. So the sovereign individual um, kicks ass, kicks ass. It was, a, it was a good book. It, it, it's, it was hard to read at times. It was just kind of like, it, sometimes it just like over extrapolates on mm -hmm. things. It's like, okay, I, I get it. I get <laughs> yeah, it. Beat okay. it into your head. Okay. I get it. Yeah. Um, but few observers of the late 20th century had their fingers so precisely on the pulse of global political and economic realignment, ushering in the new millennium. Um, their bold prediction of the disaster on Wall Street and blood in the streets was born out of, um, was a bestseller, and then the Great Awakening just weeks before the coup, um, with like this, the fall of Soviet Russia. Like uh, you, like these these guys spent you know a good part of their life in it, thinking about it, and they wrote about it. So there you go, there you go. It's mine Re now. It's yours now. <laughs> oh, it's a dollar in it. <laughs> yeah, that's why. So I use the dollar. <laughs> I don't know. I used to think it was funny, but I was like, oh, I'll put a dollar. I'll use a dollar at the end of the book. I'll give it to myself. And now a dollar doesn't mean that much. So it's like, I got to put like a hundo in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's You know, you know what I'm saying? Like if I put a hundred dollar bill in each book I read and then like that was my allowance. Yeah. You know how many books I'd be reading? Dude. I read a lot of books. Yeah. I should do that. Maybe that's how I pay myself. Put a Bitcoin in each book. Um, <laughs> yeah, put six, 60 G's in each book, dude. <laughs> the fuck? A tenth of one. Dude, I if, I had, if I had a Bitcoin for each book I read, we would have paid our way to a thousand subscribers. <laughs> I would have just called YouTube up and just be like, can you just give me a thousand? You just start me out with a thousand. I got mad Bitcoin. I just got it. mad coin, dude. I'm sovereign individual. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You better start negotiating with me. I'll call the government. <laughs> you just have like your own phone to the government. Just like pick it up. It's like, a red phone. What's up, dude? Yeah. Yeah. Who's in today? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was any of them Clintons around? <laughs> any of the Clintons? Yeah. No, 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 no. I don't want to talk to them. No, 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 no. Hey, Andrew, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. The, the Clintons are cool. Um, The Clintons are cool. They're badass people. I don't particularly care for them mm -hmm. in their ideals, but you can't discount. Like if you, if, if you read about the Clintons and then you just hate them, you failed. You failed yourself. If you read about the Clintons and you're just like, wow, it's, anything's possible. <laughs> That's how I feel when I read about them. Well, I'm like, wow, these people are, they're doing this for real. What can I get away with? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, how, 
you know, it's just it. It's interesting because Hillary, you know, ran for president of the Democratic Party, and a lot of like what people think Democrats are, they're like, oh, we're gonna take them rich and give to the poor. It's like no, well, like Hillary Clinton got rich as shit yeah. trading on Wall Street while her president was a po- like her husband was like a politician, and then she did like they've both benefited immensely from behind closed doors transactions, which a lot of politicians have. Mm. So my closing theory or idea would be to pay politicians extremely well based upon performance. Right? You don't perform well, you don't get paid. Four years of presidents? Sorry. But if your policies put the United States into a greater position, dude, give them $100 million. I don't give a shit. Yeah, here's a bonus. Here's a bonus, yeah. boy. For everything you do right, a million dollars. Bonus. Like, if our president comes out, like, like if Barack Obama, he was doing pretty well. Mm. Definitely wasn't poor. Came out of office and was like, ah, oh, Sorry. We didn't make as much money as I thought I would because the healthcare plan did not go as planned. It's like, oh, shit, well, sorry. I mean, we thought you were a real good guy. But, like, you know, it was a good idea. We voted for it. It was a good idea, but, like, you just didn't execute on it. So, like, we're just not going to pay you as well. But if Obama had gone into office and somehow, which I never thought, like, there was just not the, like, the fact of making government bigger, we already covered it in this episode. It's just not going to work. Yeah. You make healthcare universal, ask the military how much money they got. They literally get a cut of all of that. Somehow or another. Like, I've read, stuff, like, it just the trickle down to the government. It's like, well, we got to buy guns. We're going to buy some syringes and masks and stuff. And you load up some guns into that order. Let's check out some extra guns. <laughs> you know? So it's just, um, I don't know. Huh. It's just a book, dude. It's just a book. Yeah, but do you feel back... Do you feel that if you paid politicians based on their performance, that they would go out of their way to do even more? You would attract better people. You would attract better people. You think so? You would, like. Oh yeah. How many people? How many people in just like my sphere alone that mm-hmm. like you know or have met or know of their existence that are all not in politics and how successful are they? Yeah. How is it that I don't I I know very few people in politics. Mm. Tons of successful people. None of them go into politics. Why? It's a waste of fucking time. Yeah. You can you can make so much more change happen from the outside with your dollars. Right? Mm. Influence. Right? Nobody respects politicians. Nobody wants to hear from them. Get up to do, you know, get up there, collect my taxes. Try and do something good in your four years and just get the hell out without doing something and getting caught. Like, that's how we're feeling. Like, whatever. People are like, you vote, you bitch. Like, why you waste your time voting? Like, that's how people feel about each other. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, if you paid them on performance, you would attract better people. You, you know, when you caught them corrupt, like, you would have, like, you don't need to do corrupt shit and steal from people. We're going to pay the shit out of you. If you don't do your job, out. Like, if you don't get paid, your first time in whatever office you hold, are you going to do that off? Are you going to try again? No, you're going to go get another job. Right? Yeah. Very few people are like me that like fail a whole bunch of times in the beginning and they're like, nah, I'm going to keep going. This construction thing will work itself out. We'll figure this out. And then you make money. 
But like very most majority of people are like, oh, four years was brutal. And I mean, I have zero to show for it. Maybe I won't do this again. Right? Mm-hmm. You have AOC who's like, oh, take from the bitch. Yeah. She's had a dinner in like a $50,000 dress and each one of those plates cost 50 grand. Yeah. It's like, oh, what are you doing? Are you really helping us? Right? I think like the, the dudes from Barstool Sports, like she was talking about how her, like, her Puerto Rican grandmother didn't have any money and things like, like the state and all this and, you know, the people from Barstool or some some newspaper or something like started her grandmother a GoFundMe and raised a ton, over a hundred grand for AOC's grandmother in Puerto Rico. Jesus. AOC shut it down. <laughs> Gave all the money back. It's like, okay, well, you're going to go on there and say how like in need and how impoverished your grandmother is. It's like, how much money do you make? Yeah, right. You idiot. <laughs> right? Oh, you don't take care of your grand. You're getting up on stage and saying like, oh, the whole world should take care of my grandmother before you do. Fly your ass to Puerto Rico and do something. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Stop squawking off. And then somebody does and does something, helps your grandmother out, and what do you do? You, no, you assholes. How dare you help my grandmother? It's like that was the perfect example of how private industry, private security, privatization will put the money where it's needed. Right? GoFundMe is the perfect example of putting the money where it's needed. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs money, they get it. The government's like, ah, you know what? We need to get the money to the Haitians. It's like Squidward, six years later. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's like, what do you mean? Like, there's organizations at the cash register. It's like, oh, would you like to give a a dollar to dogs in need? No. No. And they look at you like, you're an asshole. It's like, well, you're an asshole because three cents for every one of those dollars actually gets to a dog. You got 97 cents of administration in there. People are making... Sit, fucking who knows how much money a year running this charity so we can get 3% to the like if I ever ran a charity it'd be like 100% goes back at least yeah, totally right if I ever ran a charity like the people that work for the charity would get paid I wouldn't take a dollar so stupid mm-hmm. I'm gonna pay myself a salary I'm gonna start a charity it's like no you're just non-profit business yeah it's just crazy whatever we're in the weeds. <laughs> We're in the weeds. It's much needed, though. <laughs> this was a good episode. I don't know that it was. I think it was. As long as you read the book. It was very information. Gilmar's going to read the book. I'm going to read the book. I feel that I have now a good head start on what it's about. Did we give, did, did you get, <clears throat> did you salivate over the book? Or are you like, oh, man, those pages. Yeah, definitely. A little bit more now. They're all crinkled. There's a dollar in it. So Are yeah. you like, yeah, hey, I'm going to read it now? <laughs> did this make you want to read it? Or was this just like... No, yeah, definitely. Like I like I said, it it's better than than reading the back of a book. Sometimes I read the back of a book and I'm like, eh, well, it's very broad. But yeah, you know, getting all that information definitely makes me want to like dig deeper into what's going on. And I don't know. I, I think it's if it's gonna change the way I think somewhat or give me some insight on how the world is or how it was, then you know, I I definitely it's gonna make you harder to kill hard. Yeah. You're gonna, you will be harder to kill. Yeah, I want that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I want that. Yeah. I want that for you, man. Thanks. <laughs> I want that for everybody, and people get mad at me for it. <laughs> it's like, why aren't you doing jujitsu? It's like, why do you keep asking me? I'm not coming. It's like, did you go to the gym? No. I didn't go to the gym. I don't need to go. It's like, all right. Yeah. I'm like, I'm kind of worried your heart, you're a little easier to kill now. 
You can't say that to people. No, yeah, you can't. I think it'd be funny as shit if I did that. You'd be like, you're really easy to kill today. <laughs> today? Be like, yo, yeah. you, you look a little hungover. I could probably kill you pretty easily. Yeah. It's like, you better watch out. The septa truck could woo, swipe out. you off the street, dude. You're out just because you were not ready to go. Mm-hmm. You always got to be ready. Looking <laughs> <laughs> left or right. Yeah. It's called preparedness, maybe. Yep. We could call it that. Okay. A hard, I guess being hard to cal- kill is synonymous with prepared. Yeah. Boy Scouts. Anyway, subscribe. Hit the like button. Uh, head over to the YouTube. I appreciate the few people that got in early. Yeah, I see y'all. We s- restarted the YouTube channel. Got a new format. The YouTube channel for the podcast has its own exclusive YouTube channel. All the past episodes are up there. Um, clips and shorts and things are going up daily. So uh, check us out. Check out the YouTube. Hit subscribe. I don't even care if you don't like the show. If you just hit that subscribe, get us up to 1,000. That'd be good. <laughs> Real good. Because then we're going to have to do this whole other battle. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and we've only made like $27 on this podcast so yeah. far. So we've met a lot of cool people and we've talked about we have. We've talked about a book now. We've made more than just $27. Okay. Yeah, theoretically, yeah. Theoretically, we yeah. have. Theoretically. <laughs> Andrew Dollars. <laughs> Andrew Dollars. <laughs> <laughs> <True. laughs> yeah this is gilmar andrew rambo over in the corner um sovereign individual shout out to colin for introducing us to this book um go grab a copy